0: Lots of coronavirus news to talk about today on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Chris Quinn here with the regulars, Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, and Layla Tassi. Let's get right to it. With Ohioans scrambling for coronavirus vaccine, how much has gone unused and been wasted because of expiring or other reasons? Laura Johnston, this is a rare good news coronavirus story.
1: Yeah, I like those. Only about 4,200 doses of the 4.6 million that Ohio has given out for both first and second doses have been wasted. There's no breakdown of why. So were some administered because Ohioans blew off the appointments, were shots sent to providers in areas of the state that couldn't use them because people were vaccine skeptics? Did they just go bad? We don't know exactly why, but this is about 0.1% of the doses administered and that is way less than the CDC expectation of 5% of usable doses, which seems really high. And I'm glad we don't have that kind of waste here.
0: Yeah, I was sure it would be higher. It's just with all of the the requirements to keep this stuff cold and the number of days it lasts once it's defrosted, I it just I didn't expect it to be this low. But what it shows is, is that the people, the providers knew this stuff is more valuable than gold. And they found people. To give it to if they had extra, which speeds up the vaccination. So it's not, I mean, did anybody expect that the numbers would be that low? No,
1: I, mean, no, I didn't. And, and we some of the ones that were high, we'd already reported, you know, like when the state suspended specialty RX because 890 doses became unusable, they didn't have proper refrigerator and freezer monitoring. Then there was one other provider that had like 500 that they got a shipment before a holiday weekend and they're Thermal devices failed, which, you know, we've heard more than once. But uh and Ash Debula, Board of Health, they had problems with stuff before it even got to them and was wrecked. But for the most part, these are a couple here and there. These are not like whole cases of vaccine that just went bad.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a good news story. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How many more people died in 2020 in Ohio than in 2019 before the pandemic hit? Layla Tassi, we've talked about this previously. but but we've always said there are caveats because the reporting lags it's coming into a much clearer focus and and the numbers are high.
2: Yeah, the uh, the Ohio Department of Health is now reporting that at least 143,558 Ohioans died last year and that's from all causes, but of course during the pandemic. That's an increase of nearly 20,000 from the year before and it amounts to a 16% increase. In the previous three years, deaths remained pretty consistent, hovering right around 124,000. And COVID has something to do with that, obviously. The health department has separately reported that, you know, in 2020, 13,445 Ohioans died from COVID. However, deaths classified broadly as natural causes were up more than 18,000 in 2020 over the year before so there are other other non-covid natural causes not accounted for in those numbers. Overall though this is a pretty, you know, stunning snapshot of of how the pandemic has taken its toll on Ohioans.
0: Well, and you're seeing members of the Trump administration, former members of the Trump administration coming out now and criticizing his response and talking about the fact that hundreds of thousands of lives could have been saved. Right. If we had a president during this crisis who responded to it like a crisis instead of worrying about his political fortunes. I wonder what that would mean in Ohio. If hundreds of thousands across the country wouldn't have died, how many of those could have been in Ohio? How many fellow Ohioans would still be walking around today if we had had a proper crisis response?
2: Uh, it's almost too devastating to contemplate. It's terrible.
0: It would be hard to figure out, but it would be an interesting number to get. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You're listening to This Week in the CLE, Jane Cahoon, you've got my favorite discussion for today. How (laughs) is Lieutenant Governor John Houston defending himself for using the phrase Wuhan virus when we've seen a growing anti-Asian sentiment? I was surprised that he doubled down on this instead of recognizing that what he said is hurtful. There's a way out. But he's drilling down, saying he stands by it. Why?
3: Well, he says he was directing his criticism at the Chinese government and no one has the right to question his motives. I mean, he he basically, first of all, this tweet that he put out on Friday was commenting on a story about the former CDC director under the Trump administration saying that he thought the coronavirus was the result of some sort of lab accident. In China, and was inadvertently released that way. That theory, by the way, has not been proven, and lots of people disagree with it. But people were shocked when he used that term in his tweet, and he got all kinds of blowback on social media for using a term, which, as you said, many see as not only hurtful and and bigoted toward people of Asian descent, but a term that they think has incited people to commit violence against Asian Americans. And so they said it was insensitive. It it broke with guidance from the World Health Organization and just contributed to this false perception that people of Asian descent are some sort of public health threat. So on Monday, as a, as you said, he not only doubled down, he went on a radio program, which he promoted on social media that he was making this appearance. And he not only defended the language, but he criticized people who were criticizing him over it. He said, yes, my intent was to, you know, criticize the Chinese government for not being more transparent about its possible role in the pandemic. And he says there should be an independent internal investigation into the origins of the virus. And, you know, he criticized people as stifling his criticism, you know, stifling in the name of political correctness. So, you, so let's
0: drill into this. There's three things yes, there. One, yes. he says no one has the right to question his motives. He's the lieutenant governor. Everybody yeah. has the right to question <laughs> his motives. Well, he my, wants to be yes. governor someday. Of course, we're going to question his motives. Of that's just we are. ridiculous. Two, yeah. look, we had an op-ed over the weekend by a former military uh, communication specialist who who was ruining the fact that we don't call the virus and the variants by their geographic names because it's so much more confusing to use the weird numbers you know there was the originally the united kingdom variant now the way we phrase it is the variant that first appeared in the united kingdom and there's a south american there's a south african but but the fact is there is an anti-asian sentiment that's been clearly demonstrated across the country because of the ties of this virus to china and so when somebody in a position of authority says Wuhan virus, it triggers it. And it makes all of the Asians that are worried about this more fearful. I still don't get what he's thinking. He could have come out and said, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have used that term. That's a stupid thing to do. My point is that China is being ridiculous in its defensiveness here and blocking investigators from finding out the origin. All true. China has done a terrible job of being right. being transparent. How easy
3: would it have been to criticize them without using that term? Totally. It was totally unnecessary.
2: Can I jump in here? This is Leila
3: Lassie. Hey, hey
0: the,
2: you introduced yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. We're, words matter. This is not OK. This isn't just overly reactive hypersensitivity about about language. Hate crimes are being committed because of language like this. Trump, for the past year, referred to the coronavirus as the China virus, and that's intentional. Part of his attempt to deflect blame for all the ways his administration fumbled the response to the pandemic and made it worse. You know, if anyone is being hypersensitive, it's Houston for feeling defensive about being called out on this. It's reckless and tone deaf to defend his choice of words. I don't understand what's so hard about showing a little care and concern for how your words affect other people. That's part of what it means to live in society.
0: I I keep getting into conversations with people that keep likening this to the 1918 flu. And for my entire lifetime until last year, the 1918 flu was called the Spanish flu. It just always was, and nobody raised objections to it. But once this pandemic began, and it was clear that calling it the China virus, the China coronavirus, which was the original usage, was a problem, that it was causing anti-Asian sentiment. We stopped calling the 1918 pandemic the Spanish flu. Our usage became Mm -hmm. the 1918 pandemic because people called it out and said, look, that may have been what it was for 100 years, but societal norms change. What you have with Houston, what you have with Trump, what you have with some other conservatives that are really trying to stick with this is the tie to tradition. But things change, and we have clear anti-Asian sentiment All over the place. Joey Morona, one of our staff members, wrote a moving piece about it last week, I believe. I mean, so you should. I I agree with Layla. I just don't get why he didn't apologize and make his point.
3: Right. Could I bring pure politics into this? And this is, as you said, he said, nobody can assign motive, but we can because that's what we do. We analyze this kind of stuff, right? (laughs) So, number one, was it intentional? Was he intentionally provocative? I think Yes. And, and purely from this political point of view, is he pandering to the far right in his party, the, the Trump supporters, that he feels he needs to win over in the election next year? Yes, Especially totally. since the man he would presumably run with, Governor Mike DeWine, has taken a lot of criticism from the right and might be regarded as vulnerable. So, you know, I wonder, is this going to cause any tension between them? What's, what's Houston's game here? You know, is he... Is he floating some sort of trial balloon or what?
0: All right. Well, the one thing he did get was a lot of attention. Maybe that was his goal. Maybe this is a Josh Mandel style play. Let's yeah, pull maybe, a stunt as big as possible and maybe see he's, if I get coverage.
2: Maybe he's auditioning for Trump's Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, oh my goodness.
0: Okay. Good stuff. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What's the personal experience that a swollen woman is using to convince people to get vaccinated against the coronavirus? Laura Johnson, this is really a tragic story.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly sad. This is three days just before Christmas, Nicole Stika lost her mom, her dad, and her father-in-law, all of COVID. And this is just obviously one story we've talked about in this podcast, the number of deaths in Ohio this year. you know, More than 18,000 Ohioans have died since the start of the pandemic. And to put that into perspective, this is more than triple the number of drug overdose deaths in 2017 which was the most brutal year of the opioid epidemic. So only heart disease and cancer kill more Ohio residents in a regular year. So this is just 3 of those deaths. But they she doesn't even know how they got sick. She got sick as well, and now she's she's using her platform to try to tell people, "Go get vaccinated. This is real. People die, and you can protect them yourself."
0: Yeah, there's so many anecdotes now that have come out that should convince people to get the vaccine and the data showing how protected you are if you get it but we still have a bunch of people i guess who who are not going to get it but it's nice that to to live through that kind of a tragedy and then try and turn it into something good you got to give her a salute that that just has to be incredibly painful
1: absolutely she told reporter Evan McDonald that you know she went to Starbucks to get a coffee and the barista wasn't wearing the mask properly and she snapped at him so She's she's kind of pulled back. She wants to be positive. She's not going to go around yelling at people who are not wearing masks correctly. But to to be she should. She should. (laughs) 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 Layla left her house. That's what she would be doing.
2: If I I were off home arrest,
1: I would uh, be out there yelling at people. (laughs) Uh, But so she she just tries to encourage people to get the vaccine on social media. She leaves positive messages for her friends that show their their selfies of their vaccines. So yeah, it's it's you got to be remember this is serious. Kills okay. people.
0: You're yeah. listening to this week in the CLE. Now, Layla gets a hot one to talk about. Is <laughs> Cayuga County going to pay people for not working? Actually, this is less troubling than the question makes it sound, except for one element. But Layla, take us through what's going on here.
2: So basically, the county incorrectly forecast its revenue losses during the pandemic and imposed these furloughs based on those inaccuracies. And now the county executive, Armin Budish, wants to spend millions on compensating those employees. The county workers took, I think it was 80 hours of unpaid leave, which saved the county 5.2 million. Budish wants to return that to employees because the county ended 2020 with 192 million in reserves, which was more than twice the 89 million that the administration had projected prior to the pandemic. And that's because Sales and property tax collections didn't drop the way the county expected. And, and also, the county used $96 million in federal coronavirus aid to pay payroll expenses this past year. But it's, this is just such an interesting topic. We were discussing this before we started the podcast about what are the implications, because of course, many of these county employees also collected unemployment benefits while they were furloughed. And uh, so, what does that mean that, that they'd also be restored this, this back pay?
0: All right. So we criticize Armin Brutish a lot. But in this case, I think he was being fiscally prudent by doing the furloughs. Lots of businesses did that. Lots of governments did that. He's the steward of the taxpayers' money. And he took a step to make sure that the the larder wouldn't be bare. So that was good. Now he's looking back saying, OK, I forecast wrong. I was conservative, but I was wrong. And I want to restore the harm. the The problem is the dollars they're talking about we we'll give them all their money back, and like you said, most of them got unemployment. And as Laura yeah. Johnston pointed out, unemployment plus six hundred dollars a week. So you would think there'd be an adjustment, make them yeah. whole, because that's fair. They didn't do anything to deserve not to be working, and 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 it was all done to protect the taxpayer. But if he gives them the yeah. five million on it's top a double of dipping the situation, spend,
2: right? <laughs>
0: I mean, that that makes me wonder about the politics. I mean, lots of people don't think he should run again because the administration has been grossly incompetent. But he's giving signs like he might run again. He's going to have lots of competition, I believe. And this is a way of getting county employees to be loyal to you. But <laughs> nobody should get paid extra for not working. It seems like that might be out of control. We'll have to watch. Can, dog can I add
1: one thing part. here? This is Laura Johnston. I'm really surprised that there was no Chris throwing the flag on this one, because I feel like we talked about this in the summer saying, where are they getting these projections? How do they know that 10 percent of people are not going to pay their property taxes? And, you know, Cleveland had a very different strategy. And I don't think they I mean, they had a much less conservative strategy. And so it is kind of interesting, like where they got their forecast in the first place that they we did this uh, off.
0: You're right. We criticized it. But but on the other hand, there was so much unknown. And so, I mean, yeah, you would you wish they had better, better spending projections, but this would have been way worse if they would have true, gone in the other true, Absolutely,
1: We would. Yeah, it would be worse if they were like, we thought it'd be fine. And we lost all, all of our taxpayer money.
0: Right. Like they're, you know, they're doing with the jail and the justice center, getting ready to spend a half million dollars, a half billion dollars they don't have. I it's just this. I guess there are more questions than answers. But if this goes beyond. Just making them whole, it's clearly a political ploy to get votes if he runs again.
1: Then they should re- repay the in- unemployment system.
0: <laughs> well, I would. Well, actually, I would think that you, well, except it's a different calendar year. So I bet that that wouldn't apply. But, I
1: don't know. The state it, might take it back to try to fix some other
0: problems. But it's a different calendar year. I don't know that you can. Anyway, questions to get answered. Good stuff. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Have coronavirus cases increased in Ohio recently? Jane, we started the podcast with a good news coronavirus story. This is not a good news coronavirus story.
3: No, it is not. We've been talking lately about how the cases have leveled off, which, which was concerning enough. Well, on Monday, we saw the cases actually ticked up somewhat. Rich Exner, in his weekly analysis of, of the coronavirus trends, this showed newly reported cases were up about 10%. In the last week. And at the same time, vaccinations have gone up a lot with 35% of the state's 16 and older population now having received at least one dose of, of vaccine. So we had an average of about 1,700 cases a day in the last week. And the average over the previous week was closer to like 1,500. There hasn't been a big change in the number of hospitalizations yet Although we had a slight increase, we had 963 coronavirus patients in Ohio hospitals on Monday, but uh, that's ranged between like 823 to 963 since March March 5th, but the number last week was 854. So anyway, you know, the, the other trend, as we've mentioned, is with vaccines initially targeting Older folks, younger people are making up a larger share of the hospitalizations. And so just to sum it up, we're, you know, we're not seeing big spikes like Michigan, but this is not. But we could,
0: I mean, we're heading that direction. You feel like that that we just need to take the precautions for one more month. If everybody just did what they should through April and we get the 60% vaccinations in Ohio, we'd probably be okay. But, you know, we got all the college kids coming back for spring break the younger folks are the ones that are getting sick. We we could have a bad few weeks. I mean, the head of the, who was it? The head of the CDC
3: yesterday? Right. Said, she you know, said it was like impending doom. I think. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, those doom. Not a really what you want to a...
0: hear from the CDC. No. A impending no. sense of doom. No. But, but we're so close. And the president came out and said, please keep the mask mandates. I bet that that's what we hear from Mike DeWine today in his briefing. Hey, folks, we're really close. Just hang in there we're gonna we're going to get out of this. we're gonna have a decent summer, but I need you to to keep the precautions going and not do stupid stuff like um, Layla talked about yesterday.
3: not exactly sure he's gonna have a briefing, but he could. Oh. i we haven't heard for sure yet. I just wanted to throw that out there well, We just gave him
0: a not. good idea for one so maybe <laughs> yeah. <write> <laughs> <laughs> right. you're listening to this week in the c l e if we get through tomorrow without snow as forecast, how rare is that? Laura Johnston, I turn to you for your meteorology expertise.
1: Um, You just love ribbing me about all my non-existent expertise. But it has only happened twice since 1938, according to the National Weather Service. They actually didn't keep records for two years in the 40s. But the only other time that that has happened was last year. So no snow in March. That does not mean we're clear for the year. Last year, we had snow in May for the first time since 1974, and we got it twice. Also, we had three inches of snow on April 15th through the 17th. So it does look like we're going to make it through March without snow. All the grass is greening up. People are talking about whether they should mow their lawns or not yet. And uh, so hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll make it through.
0: But we are supposed to get some snow the first day of April. Right. April Fool's
1: Day, there's a chance of snow. And actually the last time we got snow was February twentieth. So that's quite a stretch.
0: Yeah, it's it's been great. We had a we had a pretty brutal couple of snowfalls, but I'll I'll take a march like we had. I mean, it was we had a lot of sixty degree days. It was a wonderful way to start spring.
1: The thing is, we really didn't have that much snow this winter, just more than we got the two previous winters. So the normal is about sixty-eight inches, and we're at forty three for this winter. So I mean, I hope we don't get 25 inches of snow before it's over, because I put my snow shovels away.
2: Well, I haven't taken down my uh, Christmas lights yet, so this would give me a good reason to turn them back on. (laughs) It's
1: going to be 70 degrees today, I didn't
2: need to introduce myself for that comment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. How did some Florida men scam grandparents in Northeast Ohio, and how much did they get? Leila, Tasi, they got a lot.
2: Ugh. These two despicables, (laughs) John Tyler Pla, I think, 25 year old, and Johnny Lee Palmer, 26 year old, both of them from Tampa, pleaded guilty to conspiracy and wire fraud for a scheme in which they would call these elderly residents here in Northeast Ohio and claim to be their grandchildren. They would make up some story about how they were arrested or in trouble and they needed money to get bailed out and to make it more realistic. Others would call these old, old citizens and claim to be the grandchildren's attorneys. I mean, it's so complex. I can't believe that they pull this off. Soon then, then after the calls, the residents would go to the bank and get the cash. And these two guys would come by in, I don't know why, but a rented U-Haul truck and pick up the money in person, brazenly in person at the residents' homes. And so altogether, They took $383,000 from people here in Northeast Ohio. And so finally, a woman who had just given them $6,000 suspected something and called police and the police were able to use video surveillance footage to identify the vehicle that they were driving. And that info was shared with other police departments who assisted in eventually catching these guys. So. Just pretty reprehensible stuff. And these why, guys are why? getting sentenced in July.
0: Why does it work? I, I mean, are they taking advantage of people that are they're slightly into dementia? Because most people, you know, would get that phone call and say, oh, give me a break. You're a scam artist or seek some sort of independent verification. But clearly a whole lot of people... Just turned over their money. And I
2: well, and I wonder how there was our story did mention that at least one of their victims did have dementia or Alzheimer's or something. And and I wonder also if these guys have done research on these families and know perhaps the names of their grandchildren. And you know, maybe I don't know if 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 they're looking at Facebook or how they're getting information, but you know, I I would assume that they have at least some basic knowledge of each family that they're trying to scam just to be able to, you know, because, you know, what if you call and, and the person doesn't even have grandchildren? I mean, do they do they strike upon a number of those cases where they were turned down and just sort of hung up? <laughs> I mean, like, how is this a numbers game? How often are they are they, uh, you know, getting lucky with these uh, these calls? Just awful, awful stuff. How could you take advantage of people like this?
0: Yeah, and they got a lot of money. It just it, it makes me question what, I, how they do it. Large Johnston. This is Laura
1: Johnston. I just like it. It's Florida man, right? Like that's like yeah. the whole thing. Like Florida Man does this. Right. What <laughs> and and why is it why
2: is a U-Haul involved in this? Why is that important? Uh they're like, carrying away loads of cash and need a cash? truck
0: for all the dollars.
2: Because <laughs> they're paid like in nickels or something. I mean, like, what is going on? You're
0: yeah. listening to this week in the C L E. What banking regulations did the Donald Trump administration adopt in its waning days that Senator Sherrod Brown is trying to kill now? Jane Cahoon, Sherrod Brown uh, uh, has a prominent position in uh, in the majority, and he's using it.
3: He is taking full advantage of his new chairmanship of the committee that oversees banking. He wants to use something called the Congressional Review Act to overturn this Trump administration rule. It's called the True Lender Rule. He says it allows predatory lenders to, to basically get around state laws that curb the interest rates on loans and, and this allows them to to prey upon vulnerable consumers. So this Congressional Review Act that I mentioned, it's a nineteen ninety six law that allows a new Congress to repeal federal agency rules that were passed during the last sixty working days of the previous Congress. And they can do it with a simple majority, which the Democrats hold in Congress. So, Brown says this this rule just eviscerates consumer protection laws and allows unregulated payday lending across the nation. Before this rule, he said that federal regulators under both Democratic and Republican administrations cracked down on what's called these rent-a-bank schemes, and that's where payday lenders funnel these high-interest predatory loans through national banks so that they can avoid state interest rate caps on them. Now, some Republicans did support this this rule saying it, it brought certainty and resolved lawsuits that were filed against like non-bank financial technology companies that partner with banks to originate consumer loans. And, and you know, they said that not having this rule could affect the availability of, of credit. But Brown doesn't see it that way, obviously, and he wants to get rid of that. He also uh, wants to get rid of the procedures that the SEC finalized late last year that affect how shareholders can present proposals that, you know, they said he said those make it harder for small shareholders to submit proposals for consideration by all shareholders, you know, to to raise awareness of certain issues.
0: You really get the feeling that the Democrats know that in two years they could be out of power or there could be a division again. Right. And they are really racing to get stuff
3: done. <laughs> it, it, there is a deadline it. on this stuff, though. I mean, I think he's got to do it by like April, April 2nd, or something like that, according to this Congressional Review Act.
0: All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Well, tomorrow we'll be talking about quantum computing and the deal that IBM and the clinic just announced. Layla, you won't be here, so you won't be in the hot seat oh, to explain. What quantum computing is. What do you is? mean?
2: I'm the quantum computing expert. I know. We're going to miss <laughs> you. So <we'll> have <laughs> We need this. to give that to
3: Laura. <laughs> so, <laughs> on top of weather,
1: sport, fishing. You yeah, put <laughs> quantum next to computing. I'm just like, it, it sounds like a Keanu Reeves movie. I don't know. <laughs> you,
0: you have an entire day to get ready for it. Wait till you hear <laughs> that conversation one. on tomorrow's episode. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens to This Week in the CLE.